wanted to talk to you this morning um, about what will we do with the Great Commission. Um, you know, I was um, in my early 40s before I ever really realized that, um, that there was actually ministers that actually went to different countries and different places to, to preach the gospel and to teach, make disciples. I, was, I always thought that it was either a pastor of a church or an evangelist or um, a missionary that went and lived somewhere else. But um, God introduced me um, uh, to a gentleman that came um, one day to our place of business. And I was just kind of minding my own business. And, um, and I got a phone call. And some of you may have heard me tell this story before. Um, isn't it funny how God, God gives us a testimony when we get saved, and then he progressively brings us along with it and continues to build our testimony as we go through life and gives us more and more testimonies to fall back on when we're living in a place of, um, maybe in a place of wondering what's next. But um, I was just in my, in my business and at my desk and doing my work, and, and I got a phone call. And um, it was a friend of mine wanted to introduce me to a, a gentleman that he had met at Promise Keepers. And I was reluctant to um, even let him come because I was busy that day. And I said, uh, no, not today. I just don't. He said, well, he's only going to be here for a day or two. Is there any way you could just carve out, you know, just a few minutes, just a few minutes? And I, I finally conceded and said, just bring it by just for a few minutes. I'm really busy. I really don't have time. Um, for this, but I'm going to make just a few minutes. I was focused on what I was doing, and, and God was trying to bring a greater blessing into my life the whole time. Um, he showed up with him, and they come through the front doors of the our business, and um, he's a big African man, and he um, came in, and he sat down, and you know, over there, their religions are, are full of witchcraft, and all those things. Well, he gave me his testimony how he came to know Jesus. And the funny thing about it was me and Debbie had been praying for two years. Um, he was blessing us in business, and he'd been praying. We'd been praying for two years for someone's ministry to sow into. And we'd send a little money here, and we'd send a little money there, and, and it just didn't seem to be what we was looking for. And um, I told Debbie, I said, you know, we're just going to pray, and when God comes and brings somebody and sets him in front of us, then that's how we're going to pray about it. Now, I mean, how many times, you know, how, how far-fetched is that? You know, just set somebody in front of me, God, and I'll know. Well, after he was about halfway through his testimony, God spoke right to me, almost in an audible voice, and he said, you asked me to set the man in front of you that I wanted you to sow into his ministry, and here he is. Two years had passed. I hadn't even thought anymore about that. I prayed about it and forgot about it. You know, so many times we want to make things happen on our own. We want to make things appear to be driven by God when, in, in fact, we're just driving them on our own, by our own will, by our own financial means. Um, and before he went out the door, I'd never even thought about going to, that was like a far-fetched dream for me, far-fetched dream. But before he went out the doors of the dealership, he said, he said, I want you to come to Africa. And it just hit me like a, it was like the voice of God. You know, that's how audible it was. 
and I did go. I did go, and then after I went, the first time I came back, and God began to introduce me to all these people that go. Rick Clendenin, and then I met Dale Yurton, and then I met David Pepper, who's in the Amazon, and Dale Yurton's in Russia, and Ukraine, and Mexico, and Guatemala, and Honduras, and these people that are around the world. And he started introducing me to all these people. And I thought, you know, I don't understand, God, exactly what it is you're doing. But God has a call on our lives. You know, so many times we, we'll pray and pray and pray, God, what is my calling? Well, he plainly said in Mark 16 and 15, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So, at this point here, we know what he's called us to do. In some way, shape, or form, you know, our world may be Clay County. Our world may be the job that you work at. Our world may be this whole region of Kentucky. It may be, we don't know where it's at. It may be international. It may be foreign. We don't know until God shows us exactly. But he brings us, I found that he brings us along progressively. He don't throw it on us all at once. It's just one sentence sometimes. I want you to come to Africa. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. What will we do with the Great Commission? And everyone's not called to go to Africa. Everyone's not called to go to Mexico or Guatemala or Honduras or India. But he has called us to go. And that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. What am I going to do with the Great Commission? Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you this morning. We just ask that you let me step aside, Father, and your Holy Spirit step forward. I don't want to speak anything, Father, that's not your heart. Open our hearts, Father, to your Holy Spirit that we would hear every word that he would want to speak to our heart and prick our hearts with your word. I ask you to bless each one here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I heard an old preacher say one time, he said, when Jesus said go, if we read it in the context that Jesus actually said it, it wasn't like we read it sometimes. We say, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature when we read it. But the way the context that Jesus was saying in there, he was saying, go, go, go. Preach, preach, preach. And I thought, man, that spoke to my heart. It was an emergency, an urgency that he wanted to speak into our hearts. He said, a gospel that is not spoken is really no gospel at all. Someone has to go. Someone has to preach. We've been delivered. We've been blessed. We've come to know the Savior. And it's our job. It's our responsibility. It's an emergency. It's an urgency that we go to the world. There is somewhere around 150,000 people that die each and every day. And if even 30% of those people are Christians... That still leaves 100,000 people a day that's going to hell. That's people that hasn't heard 
Many of them have never heard the word of God. So why do we hesitate to go? That's the question I have to ask myself, even in the fact that I do go some. I've not been as urgent as I should have been. I've not taken all the opportunities that I should have taken. So why do I hesitate to go? Why do I hesitate to witness to the person that works beside of me or lives next door to me? Why do I hesitate? And I think, God, show me why do I hesitate? Am I intimidated? Am I fearful? What is it that keeps me from going? There's a story that um, I ran across the other day, and I want to share it with you. Um, Jonathan Wainwright's story. Um, some of you historians may have heard of Jonathan Wainwright. He was the only American general taken prisoner by the Japanese in World War II. There's a number of spiritual truths in this story, but one truth especially of how the truth will set you free. He was held in a POW camp in remote Mongolia. And as he grew weaker and weaker during his captivity, which lasted 39 months, over three years, he was waiting for the American forces to come and liberate the camp. All he had to hold on to is hope. Eventually, America did win the war, and a cablegram went out to every Japanese POW camp with instructions for the Japanese commandant of that POW camp to surrender to the highest-ranking American officer. All of the POW camps complied except, of course, the one where General Wainwright was being held. Because the general didn't know the truth that the enemy was defeated and the war was won, he continued to behave like a POW and obey the orders of the enemy. Eventually, an American senior officer was dispatched to go and check on Wainwright and his company. Landing near the POW camp, this American emissary got off the plane and he walked up to the fence and he asked for General Wainwright. He said, when the general approached, the officer announced, General, Japan has been defeated. Wainwright saluted back and slowly walked to the Japanese commander's office. Opening the door, he addressed the man without even raising his voice, simply speaking the liberating truth. My commander-in-chief has defeated your commander-in-chief, and I am in charge here now. Wainwright and his men took control of the camp without firing a single shot. Why? Because the general had learned the truth, and that truth has set him free. See, there's, there's a full dimension of the cross of Jesus. It's not only what Jesus did for us at the cross that we celebrate. We also celebrate because of what he did to our enemy. Our commander-in-chief, our Lord Jesus Christ, has defeated the enemy and his demons. After disarming them, Jesus made a public display of them at the cross. We're more than overcomers this morning. The truth has set us free. Our victory over Satan consists of three things. I think this is one of the main reasons... This is one of the main reasons 
that we hesitate to go. One of the main reasons is because Satan tells us these lies about ourselves, tells us that we've not really been delivered, tells us that we're not really saved. But there's three things that I want to talk about this morning that gives us victory over Satan. Revelation 12 and 11, Logan shared this a couple Wednesday nights ago and done a great job. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is constant. There's nothing the devil can do about the blood of Jesus. He can't change a thing about it. It's done. Hebrews says that it is by the blood of Jesus that we enter into the holiest. 1 John says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Ephesians says you who are without Christ, having no hope without God in the world, you who were afar off are made near by the blood of Jesus. We have a constant victory. We can have a constant victory in our lives when we plead the blood of Christ on any situation. We just have to believe it's already victory is already there. All we have to do is plead the blood of Christ. Our testimony is another point of victory over Satan. Do you remember? Do you remember the moment that he saved you? The moment that he came into your life? There's an old song, and I'm not going to sing it. But it says, do you remember? Do you remember? the works of his hands, how that he came into your life and changed you, turned you around from the direction you was headed to a whole new direction in life, a life that you never would have known had you not surrendered to him. Do you remember? The enemy would like to cause us to question our testimony, our actual deliverance, but we can have victory because we just go back to the moment he rescued us. We just remember. And our testimony is constantly changing, like I said earlier, because God is constantly bringing us along to a new place in Him. He progressively brings us to the place in Him. Clay said something earlier about His love. He just, everything that He brings us into is, is a revelation, a greater revelation of His love for us. And it grows our love for other people. Thirdly, our over victory over Satan is... Um, our willingness to die for Jesus. I have a, uh, a spiritual mentor, a brother, Dale Yurton, that I love dearly. He's right around 80 years old now, and um, I've traveled some with him, and we're in some meetings together. And, you know, COVID was rampant, and, and he was getting ready to go to Mexico in the middle of all of it. And someone said, oh, you're going in the middle of the pandemic. And he says, he says, you can't threaten me with heaven. <laughs> and I thought, wow. <laughs> you know, if we could all grow to that attitude that we love Christ so much that you can't threaten me with heaven. That gives us victory over Satan because that's something he can't threaten us with no more. You know, there's a fear you know, the first time I went to Uganda, 
I didn't sleep. My wife can tell you I didn't sleep for weeks, for a couple months when I knew I was going. I, bought, I was fine until I bought that ticket. <laughs> and when I bought that ticket, it seemed like all hell broke loose in my life. And I thought, I don't know if I can do this. There was a fear, a panic. He tried to paralyze me. That's what fear does. It paralyzes us. But Brother Yurt and I thought, that is just echoes in my ear almost daily. And I've told so many people about it, but he says, you can't threaten me with heaven. Amen. And I thought, wow, that's what I, I want to grow up to be. <laughs> a lot of years, he's 60 years probably in the ministry. But then um, this is where this Satan, the accuser, um, aims his attack from hell. There's three main weapons of the enemy and how he uses them against us. Number one is sin and the temptation to sin. Matthew 4 and 3 calls him the tempter. He is the tempter. And you know what? That's his job. And he's not going to quit tempting you. He's going to keep throwing things at you, trying to get you to sin. Sin is like an active weapon, like a guided missile. It seeks you, and when it hits you, you know it immediately. Because the Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin are death. So he can tempt us all he wants. But when that guided missile actually hits us, we know it. Because it brings death. The wages of sin are death. Matthew 4, Jesus was led up into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted of the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days, the devil came to him and tempted him. And when did the devil leave him? It's the very last couple scriptures of that, of that passage. It's, I said, when did the devil leave him? It was when Jesus told him, away with you, Satan. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. And I found that to be true in my own life. When I resist Satan, then he flees. When I entertain Satan the temptation is greater. When Jesus told him, away with you, Satan, even a portion of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, and even a portion of that Lord's Prayer says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We live with evil all around us. Brother Yurton says, um, said one time, he said, that's the reason we go to church on Sunday, because we go and we get all washed up from all the world that we've been exposed to all week long. We get all cleaned up. We get up here in praise and worship. We hear a word from God. We study in His Word. That's the reason we go to church on Sunday, to get cleansed, to get cleaned back up from all of the filth of the world. Our Commander-in-Chief, our Lord Jesus Christ, has defeated the devil and his demons. After um, weapons Satan uses against saints, the net, another weapon that he uses against the saints is accusations. Uh, the second, it's set up secretly. And he tries to get you to fall into this trap, this weapon called accusations. Revelations 12 and 10 calls him the accuser of the brethren. And that's what he does. That's what he's doing right now today. 
That's what's saying. He's walking to before the throne, accusing the saints, accusing me and you. Accusing. It's accusations. Even though we are forgiven, he reminds us of every sin we've committed. We know we've been forgiven, but he still wants to remind us of every single sin that we've ever committed. Then he adds another sin we could have committed. God knows that list is endless. God calls us by name, but Satan shouts that we have been forsaken. That we aren't good enough for doing ministry. Even though we're protected by the one who said, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He uses the problems and the challenges that we face every day as a ramrod to blind us to that promise. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He screams in our ears, God has left you. You're too bad. I think this is the reasons why we hesitate to go. I think this is the reason we hesitate to witness to our neighbor, to the people we work with, even to step out into ministry. I think this is the reason because he tempts us to sin, and we have that here. And then he accuses us. He says, you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. Someone else can do it better. He accuses us to the point that we believe him when, in fact, Jesus already won our battle. Our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, our Lord, has defeated the devil and his demons. Amen. Strongholds is another weapon that he uses against us. The third weapon is strongholds. So when we believe Satan's lies, like someone else can do it better, like you're less than, you know, another one, he, he likes, well, you're not educated. You know, you're, you're not educated. You're, you're not really that smart. You know, um, people don't like you. Have you used that on you? Um, you can't forgive them. Remember what they did to you. Unforgiveness, a stronghold. He uses strongholds on us to keep us from stepping into the calling that God has placed on our lives. And we could go on and on all day long with strongholds that, that he places in people's life. But I think one of the greatest ones, one of the greatest ones, the Bible plainly teaches us to forgive our enemies. We have no problem determining God's will on that subject. But the, the best definition I could find on strongholds, and if you can listen to this word for word, it says a spiritual stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable situations that we know are contrary to the will of God. Causes us to accept situations that we know are contrary to the will of God. It's a stronghold in your mind. He has already won the war. He's already won the battle. He's already taken control. And when we turn our lives over to him, now he's in control of our lives. When we've surrendered to him, we find ourselves in a bind time and time again, unable to overcome the strongholds that the devil has placed. You know, it's all in the mind. It's all in our mind. Can I remind us once again, the enemy is pulling out every weapon he can use against you in order to keep you from stepping out in confidence into the call God has placed on your life.
We can find victory over the weapons of the enemy. We, the weapons we, he uses against you, a child of God. I'm going to say it one more time. Our commander-in-chief, our Lord Jesus Christ, has defeated the devil and his demons. He doesn't want us to know that we've been delivered. The battle's been won. That he's defeated. Our Lord and Savior has clearly announced victory over the enemy and his armies. In all these areas, sin is defeated in Jesus' name. Accusations are defeated in Jesus' name. Strongholds are broken in Jesus' name. But we still have what we know to be God's will and what the Bible says concerning our lives, even concerning the call of God on your life, even His commandments for us to begin to become witnesses. Go and tell the world the good news of the gospel. It's good news. It's good news. And that news is not news until we go and tell it. Because someone else has never heard it. We still find ourselves in the battlefield and with the mindset that we're just not good enough. We rationalize, we speculate, we accept accusations of the enemy as a result. We fall short of experiencing. And right here it is. We fall short of experiencing abundant life in Christ. Abundant life. You know, there's blessings through what he's calling you to that you never expected in your life. You know, I went to Africa that one time. It's been almost 20 years ago. Almost 20 years ago. And today I stand here before you with a, a nine-year-old grandson from Africa. What a blessing. I didn't expect that blessing. I thought it was all about giving, 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 you know. But sometimes there's a nugget there. A nugget of a blessing that God has intended for you and all he's asking you to do is, is just go. We never know the relationships. We never know the blessings that he has in the middle of. It's abundant life. It's abundant life that he wants to guide us into. He's made us to be overcomers. And he's made us to overcome the temptation to sin. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The accusations of the enemy. He's made us to overcome the strongholds that the enemy has tried to contain us with and step forward into the call that God has placed on our lives. Our commander-in-chief, our Lord Jesus Christ, has defeated the devil and his demons. He called us and he's equipped us the calling for the calling that God has on our lives. Second Timothy 1 and verse 9 says, Who hath saved us, talking about Jesus, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Scripture is clear. We all have a God-given calling. In fact, every one of us as Christians have just general callings on our life. He's called us just, these are God's general callings. Calling for us to live a holy life. That's what he's called us to, not impure lives. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 7 says, For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. He's called us to know Jesus intimately. 
Philippians 3 and 14, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call, that's the highest call, of God in Christ Jesus. He's called us to forgive when we've been treated unfairly. 1 Peter 3 and 9 says, Not returning evil for evil or reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this. You were called to this. Why? That you may inherit a blessing. A general calling is to live in freedom. Galatians 5 and 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. He's called us to liberty. Only do not use this liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And that's the last one that I have. It's, it's not an exhaustive list, I'm sure, but um, another general calling is to serve one another. Through love, he said in Galatians 5 and 13, through love serve one another. And that's the greatest calling in the world that we have on our life is to be servants. Just to be servants to one another. But then God has a specific calling on your life. It's more vocational. It's, um, it's unique. You have a specific calling on your life. A calling definition is a strong inner impulse toward a particular course of action or vocation especially when accompanied by conviction of divine influence. He has divinely placed a specific calling on each of our lives. Galatians 1 and 15 says, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. God has called us to work and to build his kingdom. No matter what the vocation we found ourselves in. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For, that word for there, Jesus Christ for good works, he created. That means, that marks, it's a word of purpose. It's a word that in order to, we were created for good works. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. This just tells us what Jesus thinks about us. This tells you, he says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which times past were not a people, but now the people of God. Now we're the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Clay mentioned this last week in his message, and then um, it came up again uh, Wednesday night. Um, the Spirit is hovering. So I'm going to go back to missions for just a minute. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. You know, I don't know how long he was hovering there. Maybe he was hovering there for a million years, or maybe a billion years he was hovering there. But he was hovering there waiting for the spoken word of God. 
He was waiting, just waiting all that time. All we can, he's equipped us to do the job, whatever that looks like is on an individual basis. And some people says, well, we can pray. We can pray, but is that on the only thing that we can do? I think he's given us two legs. Prayer and preaching. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So it's not just praying that we need to do. We need to pray and then preach. Pray and preach. Pray and preach. Or pray, Matthew says teach. Pray and teach. Or pray and witness. He's called us to go. And we can add witnessing to our prayer. There's more to do than just pray. In closing, we have a church in Amgulu. This is just a brand new church. Just planted. With one of the missions um, organizations that I work with. and um, They're meeting under a tree. That's their church. They go out and they meet under a big tree. Um, this past Sunday, just last Sunday, there was 300 adults there. This is a brand new church. And 60 children. There was 50 people that's gotten saved in the last two weeks. And last Sunday, they baptized 50 people. And they had to walk for two miles to get to water to baptize in. <laughs> and they sent us word that all the whole two miles, the people were dancing and they were shouting. and They were praising God for two miles down a dirt mud road in the middle of the jungle. This is a really remote area. And I just had pictured that. I thought, these are people that have never heard the name of Jesus even spoken. They don't know the little song, Jesus loves me, this I know. The children don't even know those little songs. The parents don't even know them. There's somebody somewhere waiting on you to just give them a word about the good news of the gospel that sometimes we hold so selfishly just to our own selves. But I thought the Spirit of God has been hovering over Gulu. <laughs> it's been hovering over that area. We don't know how long he's been hovering there. But he's been hovering there. And someone finally made it there. Someone finally made it there to speak the Word of God over those people who knew nothing but witchcraft and they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know about Him going to the cross and dying for our sins and being buried for three days and then resurrected into new life that we can have hope for a new life. They didn't know those things. And we have another area that we're ministering in in the very northeastern part of of um, Uganda. This is a very 
extremely primitive area. This is where in order for your son to become a man, he has to go kill some other man's son. This is hostile. And in 2019, the pastors fly a crop plane to Juba. This is up in South Sudan. Then they ride a motorcycle taxi for several hours. Then they go on foot a total of 11 hours to get into this area. In 2019, December, right before COVID, two pastors went in. And only one came out. They killed one of them. But the other pastor was was able to escape. So that other pastor went back three years later in 22. In 2022, he went back and took another pastor with him. They were able to plant four churches. Now, they were small churches, only 30 to 40 people. They took the word in. But see, the Spirit of God was hovering over this area. He was hovering, just waiting for someone to speak the word of God. The churches today, that was in 22. Today, those churches total 600 people. And a total of around 1,500 people from that area have been saved. See, the Spirit of God was hovering over that area. And someone finally made it there. People that had no idea that there was a Jesus. And you know, the Spirit of God is hovering right now over your family. He's hovering right now over the office you work in. Or the factory you work in. He's hovering. All he's waiting is for someone to speak the word. The word of God. He's hovering over our community. He's hovering over the nations. He's just waiting for someone to speak the word of God. So my question today is, what will we do with the Great Commission? We've been called, we've been commissioned even. And my question to us is, what will we do with the Great Commission? What am I going to do with it on a personal level? Now, if we can leave the 99 and go after that one this morning, maybe there's someone here this morning that, maybe there's someone here today that doesn't know Jesus. And you'd like to know him as your personal Savior. You'd like to have that blood of Jesus applied to your life. There's a story in the Bible about, they call him the prodigal son. You know, and he, he left the father's house and he left the family and he went his own road for a while. But eventually he figured out that you know, things weren't as good as what he really thought they might be out there in the world. And he decided, I'm going home. Even the servants live better than I live. I'm going to go back home to my father's house. I'll be a servant there. So he got him a speech all practiced up and all fine-tuned, and, and he headed home. And the father could see him from a way off, way down the road. 
And I kind of picture it in my mind that maybe, maybe he's seen him coming and maybe he would stop. And he would think, and he'd think, okay, I've got this together and I'm going to go on. And maybe he went a few more steps and he would stop again. The father seen him afar off and he went running. He went running to that son. He didn't want him to change his mind and turn around and go back the other way. And that's the way God is with us this morning. If we'll take one step, if we'll just take one step, God takes all the rest. He takes all the rest. He works everything out. He brings us along progressively according to His will and His purpose in our life. So the altar is open. We'll close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your love. The love that we can feel, Father, that you have for us. But not only us, Father, you love this entire world. There's nothing that can cause you to love us any less, and there's nothing we can do to cause you to love us any more. You just love us because that's who you are. You are love, Father, and help us to show other people and extend that love that you have for us unto other people. Help us to trust you with our lives, Father. Help us to trust you with our daily schedules. Leave an open window somewhere, Father, that you can speak a word to our hearts if you want to. Open up doors of opportunity, Father, for anyone who might be willing, Father, to step through that door. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us, for your love, for your mercy, for your grace, and for your wonderful salvation that you offer to each and every one. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.